This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Greetings, I am Barry. If you're searching for answers, spiritual help, clairvoyant readings, healings, crystals, books, incense or jewellery, you need to go to Infinity, Hamilton Spiritual Centre, in the new premises at 550 Anglesey Street, or you can phone us on 838 1838. This is your link between this life and the next. Become the change the world needs today. Greetings, I am Barry. This is the voice within for another week. So Sunday the 8th was the Lion Gate um, solstice when the moon moves into, into Leo. So it started in New Zealand on the 8th. If you listened to last week's show, we started drumming here in the Infinity Spiritual Centre on 11.11. And then as each country time zone came to the 11th, 11, 11 o'clock in the morning, they started drumming. So I went from here to Australia and then all across um, America, right across America, uh, Europe, Mongolia, India, and then right round the world until it ended up in Hawaii, apparently, on uh, Monday morning at 11.11 in the morning. There was a Zoom set up as well, so you could watch it on Zoom. And then, of course, because I'm part of the group, I get all the emails and stuff. Amazing, amazing event. In Holland, there was up to 150 people all on the beach, all drumming all at once. And then great big groups and groups of people across America, Australia the same down the waterways, just amazing but the whole intention was that we are all one people and that um, combined we can change things so we started here in Hamilton um, with this little quote from Chief Dan George who said the time will soon be here when my grandchild will long for the cry of the loon the flash of a salmon the whisper of spruce needles or the screech of an eagle. But he will not make friends with any of these creatures, and when his heart aches with longings, he will curse me. Have I done all to keep the air fresh? Have I cared enough about the water? Have I left the eagle to soar in freedom? Have I done everything I could to earn my child's fondness? So that's basically the intention of it. Um... We are here to change the world. So a lot of the show today will, will be about that. Uh, there's a film just coming out called The Sick Sun. And it relates to that in the cycle of time under the Mayan system, every 2,500 years there's a new sun. So we're now in the sixth sun. And this is the time for change, age of Aquarius, where the old Hopia prophecy of when the earth is in trouble there will be a rainbow warriors will rise up and save the earth so there's some excerpts from um, part of the film you can go and look it up on 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 the internet called the sixth sun
Perhaps this is how you wrote out this chapter. Perhaps you wrote it out that you would live enough lifetimes right here on Earth to be here for the greatest change on Earth ever, the greatest change in consciousness, the actual integration of new energy. But what if, what just if, this last chapter in your journey on Earth was a chapter when you said, I'm going to fall in love with myself. I'm going to be here at the beginning of the era of new energy. I'm going to be a pioneer once again, learning how to work with new energy when most humans haven't a clue what it is, learning how to go beyond vibrational into expansional while here in the physical body, experiencing it in the most intimate way. And that's what life as a human is about. Becoming intimate with your When you can step into the void from the outside to the inside, into that space in between with no fear, then you will see that the veil was only ever an illusion placed there by yourself for your own teaching. It was your fruit of the rose. Some part of me has to die in order for me to truly live. Your being 
In the yogic systems, in the Indian way of spirituality, when we say spirituality, we don't talk about God, we talk about death. Because only with the reminder that human being is mortal, that he tends to look beyond dimensions which are beyond the physical. Well, I bled to death in the birth of my second child. And I have been told since by a Lama that that is the most excellent way to die. Um, because you retain your consciousness till the last second. At the very, very end of the tunnel, there was a light. And it, it was so fascinating. I saw to the left a light coming towards me, a golden light and I knew that that light was my father and I just rejoiced inside and he came towards me and he was walking and uh, I had never seen my father walk or stand in, in life he was paralyzed so he was walking and that made me more joyous and I said oh dad and uh, behind him, there were all of these lights stretching back as far as you could see. And I said, who is that with you? And he said, oh, these are all your ancestors, didn't you know? You are the living hope of all your ancestors. So human, as I hold it, is not just being a mammal. It is also being a god or a goddess in form, in matter at the same time. And that tension between our embodiment and our animal nature and our divine nature becomes very fruitful and a very fertile territory. We empower you to be able to know that within this silhouette of this form of the two-leggeds, go out and discover, listen to the communications, not just of the two legates, listen to the wind, listen to the trees, listen to all that is around, use the, the sensories that are within you, the God, deity, entity is within all of us. There is that suddenly we are open, open to each other and open to being um, enlightened by each other. And that to me defines consciousness and that is something which is now springing up. A renewed, a new sense of that consciousness is literally arising as we speak.
ascension occurred in the moment I surrendered to the love of myself. It occurred in the moment when I said I am that I am and I love everything about myself. Without shame, without guilt, without reservation, no ifs, ands, and buts. When I surrendered into who I actually am, rather than the aspect that I was creating, trying to pretend I was something else. My ascension occurred when I knew within my heart that I am and I always was and I always will be. What a journey. What an incredible journey it has been. Every species on Earth has an important gift to give the totality of all life on Earth. And humanity is no different. What is our gift to Earth? This is the most important question we can ask as we enter the adulthood of the species. We're here to remember who we are. That we're infinite souls of light, infinite souls, fractals of the divine creation. And we've forgotten that. We human beings are becoming saviors where we were destroyers before. This is the greatest hope that I see for the human race everywhere. This is the greatest hope for us, the children of the great Ethmada. For the next few hundred years, our purpose will probably be to heal the damage that's been caused, to reverse the deserts, you know, to replant the forests, to take care of Earth, to heal the toxic waste. But after that, who knows what our purpose will be. So, here is our challenge. We know the power of our dreams. So what will you dream tonight? Can we become the future that our ancestors dreamed of? Our future is in your hands.
We all know that, that huge changes are happening on this planet. But I think that many times we don't understand how deep those changes go or how deep they have to go. And we have maybe a habit of thinking, okay, the problem is essentially evil. There are these bad people in charge. They're, you know, whatever they are, the politicians, the corporations, these bad, bad things. And if we could just eliminate them, then everything would be fine. Uh, but we've tried that before. It was called the Bolshevik Revolution. You know, you try that, but what do you have happen? The same kinds of structures are recreated in just maybe a slightly altered form. We need a deeper revolution than that. It's not about conquering evil. That's a mindset that's been around for several thousand years and it hasn't worked. Um, you could say that the revolution that we're in the midst of now is a revolution of love. Uh, and it involves a fundamentally different way of seeing the world. It goes all the way down to that level, to the level of, of who am I? Uh, what's the purpose of life? What's important? The answers to these questions are changing now. Even the answer to who am I? Um, you know, we're not anymore. We're not these separate selves in a universe of force and mass that's external to ourselves. But we're connected beings. What does politics look like with the understanding of our interconnectedness? And it's more than interconnectedness. It's inner beingness. It's not just that we're these separate beings with a connection and we have a connection to nature and, and we depend on nature. It's that we are part of nature, that you are part of me, that every person I encounter is a reflection of myself, um, that everything I do to the other, to another person, to nature, I'm doing to myself. We used to not understand that. We used to think that we can, whatever we do to nature, if we have a clever enough technological solution, we can insulate ourselves from the effect. Now we're learning that everything we're doing is coming back to us. Uh, we're destroying ecosystems and our own internal ecosystem, our own health is deteriorating and it's inescapable. Most human beings don't want to believe that there is a global shift in consciousness taking place simply because it is going to have to take all of us out of our comfort zone. Uh, it's going to have to force all of us to think again about who we are, why we're here, and what we're here for. Reality is not separate from our consciousness. We've dreamed up a scenario that's full of war, full of hatred, full of violence, full of destruction. And most people think that that's the way it is now. And because of that acceptance of that's the way it is, it holds it in place. It's like this feedback system. The universe says, okay, here's what you're thinking. And then it happens in front of you. And because it happens in front of you, you think that's reality happening and I've got nothing to do with it in a sense. And that's how it is. But it's, it's the other way around. We thought it up and then it became that. So the dream time is now. The dreaming is now. And we're all dreaming it together. You actually haven't forgotten how to dream. You've just forgotten that you're dreaming. We're beginning to open up. We're beginning to realize that the limits of our imagination in the past are not sufficient to take us forward into the future and we need to imagine again. We need to dream again and we need to 
you know, this needs to begin again and we cannot be tied down to old models of the past. They have a lot of wonderful things to teach us, but that's not where it's at. This here, now, this is where it's at. We have to change our focus. We have had irresponsible leadership based on an irresponsible system. We have to change the system so that in fairness to leaders that there, that the focus is that much longer. We have to focus on what is going to happen. Climate change is a great wake-up call. Whether that climate change, to what extent it's caused by humans and to what extent it's caused by the sun getting hotter and the sun cycles is an open question, but the pollution of planet Earth and the desecration of the Great Mother is not, is not. It's time for responsible leadership that thinks generations ahead. Big change is needed and it's needed now. Yes, you. One problem with making demands to those in power is it kind of validates the power relationship, you know, and it says that whatever I need, it's something that someone on high in authority can grant. Uh, however, we're learning now that the things that we want are so different from the world that we have today that you can't even necessarily articulate them as a demand. Uh, they're so outside the system that we recognize. And we understand now that only a total transformation is going to bring about the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Yeah, so like you know, politicians are doing a really good job these days of making things more extreme. They're, they're, they're doing really radical sort of actions that are making society a bit more upset than they have been in the past about what they're doing. You know, like for example, there's never been an outbreak of peace on the earth ever before when um, the US invaded Iraq. You know, 30 million people came out in support of peace. Now that is a signal that they're actually doing a good job <laughs> for peace in a sense, even though they're unconscious of their actions. Like they actually didn't mean to have such an outpouring of peace. That's not why they did it. <laughs> and did it for their own greedy needs, but the, the result of, of, of those sorts of actions is that more people are jumping off the fence and they're saying, actually, this is not right. There's a larger abuse at play here and also a karmic legacy, if you like, that's playing out here, the, the, the imbalance between the masculine and the feminine, and, and within each and every one of us, whether or not we're male or female. Uh, and so this is the rebalancing of that, if you will. It's no accident that the huge transnational corporations who are causing the ecocide today are driven by a very aggressive, macho, male-dominated uh, world that is capable of making decisions of enormous harm uh, without care or, or regard for others. And this, this really is the healing really that's required. 
Uh, when we see it as a rupturing of the heart space, then you can see that it's, it's, it's a kind of, you know, dis, dis ease, you know, the, the, the disease here is, is the pain that's playing out the heart space. So not only is this the, the balancing, the rebalancing of the masculine and the feminine and, and really kind of getting into that more heartfelt space, but also the capacity, the feminine capacity to embrace the pain as well. And do it from a place of, of it's fierce love, if you like, you know, because fierce love also knows when to set boundaries to create greater freedom. You know, there's nothing worse than saying there, there, on you go, but you can keep on doing the harm anyway. It's actually, it is about the accountability and saying, okay, you know, nobody comes to the table with clean hands here. Let's create the new pathways and give all help and all assistance there. But those who choose to continue causing harm, you know, that, that's part of the fierce mother coming out and saying, uh-uh, enough. Pain. When you hurt bad enough, you tend to listen. Don't you think? Sure gets my attention. Unfortunately, we learn from our pain, not from our happiness. So we perpetuate our pain in that way and learn from it, I hope. And this is normal. You know, if you look at your own life, probably any really big change happened after some kind of collapse. The old world falls apart and a new world is born. And our society is going through this very natural process, which is scary. I do feel the Earth's energy is changing. I think all that we have to do is um, live in conjunction with nature and we see that the weather patterns are changing and that the seasons are changing and that um, we can experience the fact that time as we know it is changing. So how could we, unless we are completely insular in our own little busy world, how could we help but notice that there is a change going on and that we are a part of it? I feel like we need, as a society, to hit rock bottom. And until we hit rock bottom, then we're going to continue our destructive ways. And in between the falling apart of the old world and the emergence of the new, whether it's in personal life or on a collective level, there is this sacred space, the, the, the space between worlds, the space between stories. Many people are going through that kind of transition today? Well, I bled to death in the birth of my second child. I'm, I remained fully conscious and, and experienced my last breath and experienced not being able to breathe anymore and then experienced a slight as my spirit left through my crown chakra. Pink. I was in the hospital room in my hospital bed and they were pumping um, blood into my body and it was not thawed. It, I have a rare blood type so they had to fly it in or somehow get it and it was frozen. So they were putting it into my body and it hadn't been warmed entirely and it was the m most pain I've ever been in in my life and uh, it felt like a million bees going zzz, 
all in your bloodstream. And I thought, whoa, I'm not going to tolerate this. This is not good. And so I uh, left. And then I was taken to a room in a temple, a marble temple. And I was levitated in the center of the room. And there were 24 beings around me. And there was just total silence and spaciousness. So I hung out there for a while. And then there was a very wise and old nurse in the hospital. Um, because apparently they couldn't get me to come back. And so this wise old nurse went into the nursery and got my newborn son and brought him into the room and stayed there beside my bed until he cried. And when he cried, his cry called me back. And as I'm sure all, uh, you know, as a mother, there's nothing, nothing like your baby's cry. And it reached out through time and space and brought me back. And then I had to commit to be there. You know, we have a story we tell ourselves about what's real, who am I, uh, how to live life, what's important, uh, you know, how to do things. And all of a sudden that story doesn't work anymore. But you see, Spirit has made sure that I'm not going to ever be comfortable. Because I think that comfort is the greatest danger. Of course I want it. You know, there's part of me that would like uh, just to sink into a, my comfortable house and have all sorts of comforts. And occasionally I despair that that is not the life that I'm living. And then I realize how fortunate I am. Because... I don't ever settle and go numb. You know, and that's, that's a very strong call within us. Let me just be secure. Let me just be comfortable. Let me just be safe. Those are illusions. And you know, maybe, on some deep level, that new structures are going to appear and you're going to have new habits and new ways of dealing with the world. But that hasn't come yet. A new job, a new relationship, you know, a new way of life. Uh, or on the social level, uh, new social and political structures that are maybe much more aligned with, with our values and aligned with the sacred. But that hasn't come yet. Uh, the heart tells the truth and the mind lies. That's how I see it. <laughs> I just find life gets easier and easier when I tell the truth. And going back many years, I remember putting myself in situations where I actually didn't know what my truth was to start with, and so I'd built up a life of lies because I was still trying to discover who I was. But in the revelations of those truths, to be able to express that truth to a loved one in particular, that I wasn't the person that I thought I was and they thought I was, was absolutely heartbreaking, you know, absolutely necessary as well, once the truth was revealed. 
Um, and it's, I think that was some of the biggest lessons I've ever had to learn in my life is to be completely transparent, especially with my loved ones, about who I am in this moment and to have somebody, to, a witness to my process that says, yeah, I hear you, I hear where you're at, is, is such an empowering tool as a human being. It, it's about us doing our very best to unfold the complex, contradictory, often layered aspects of everything without the intention of actually trying to find the good people and the bad or the right and the wrong, but simply how it was, how it was shared. Many people uh, don't really understand what is happening and when you don't understand you go into fear. Um, it is so much about letting go the polarity, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, all the opposites. And um, when you let go of that, you move automatically into your heart. There's no more need to play out those games. And suddenly you find that life, the life you can create, is actually a life of magic. So many people are going into this transition stage and it's a very sacred space. And who knows how long it's supposed to last. It could be very short, it could be a long time, but, and, and I think it's important to be comfortable in that empty space. Rebuild it, do something beautiful with it. You know that it's a mess. Now, jump off the cliff and fly, fly. Don't. You know, you know, God isn't there just because, you know, we've lost our parents or our marriage has fallen apart or our teenage children are giving us so much grief we feel like digging a hole and sticking our head in it. That's, that's religion. That's religion coming and saying, don't worry, here come the cavalry, we'll sort everything out. No, it's, I've got to be open to this and go, well, actually, this is wonderful that I've been given this to deal with, not this is awful. And if we can get back to that right tune or vibration um, and really tune that up there, we'll be able to, to all be connected once again. And it can, right now we're utilizing um, global gatherings, you know, through the, through the web. We can utilize that and have people do a candlelight vigil, a meditation, a sweat lodge. They can um, have a ceremony, a dance where they're fasting and praying whatever the community or family or individuals choose and then as long as we all know we can all connect in at that certain time and place and then that creates that link and that bridge um, and we've actually studied this with scientists, spiritualists, shamans, medicine peoples all over the world we've been studying these points, these ley, ley lines, grid lines and there's actually a great movement happening too there's what I believe there's a whole new system being overlaid on Mother Earth right now and through the, you know the, our body human consciousness so we're going to another level and we're all this time we're all going to go through it together everyone and now we're together from all over the world before we were in our own pockets around the world our own countries and we couldn't move so through this technology and the bridging of spiritual material now we're able to all go through this mass consciousness shift all together so it's a great uh, leap it's a great leap for humanity there's a beautiful process that happens in Israel 
called Sulha. S-U-L-H-A. And it is a process where Palestinians, Israelis and Arabs come together and they camp with each other for three days and they are all asked the same three questions which are formalized each year I think. I don't know what the questions are but they're pertinent questions and they all have to answer their questions from their own perspective and there's no discussion on their answers. So it's a listening exercise really. And everybody gets to hear what everyone else from these different backgrounds feels about the same three issues. And just bearing witness to that is a profound thing and I'm finding that, that by the end of these three days there's a great sense of brotherhood that occurs. There's a sense of hey, they're not so different from me after all. I'd only like to say that once in the past a man came along and said, love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor until you love yourself, until you love, until you learn to love. And I have a long, long way to go on that The gathering has different people coming from different cultures each year. Um, quite commonly they have Tibetan Lamas coming and holding space. Um, Desmond Tutu is a great supporter of the Sulha. And um, so they, they like to get people from different cultural backgrounds to come and hold space. And they call them spirit holders. So my intention is, is to bear witness to this. And then um, hopefully I'll learn something from this process also and maybe even be able to do something similar in Australia with Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people.
on a pass there that's um, USA for Africa and we are the world which is basically what we're talking about today on this show um, we're all one it was witnessed by they, they reckon there was 200,000 drummers drumming over the 24 hours right across the world all with the same intention to look after the earth anyway back to the uh, sixth sun so you know you're a human being at least in comparison with other animals, you know, you are human. So it's best that you strive to take this humanity to its ultimate nature. If your humanity overflows, divinity inevitably happens. If you have not allowed your humanity to reach its peak, divinity is just an empty talk, it's up there. If you allow your humanity to reach its very peak, divinity is a living reality for you. Take care of yourself, take care of the waters of your body, take care of the, um, the way you relate to the world around you, take care of your emotional body, take care of the animal friends that you meet on the way, take care of the people that you meet I mean take care just as we have fracking out there what is the fracturing that's playing out in our own hearts what is the healing that's required here that really is the sacred activism if you like and if we choose to be voices for the earth if we choose to respond to that call and we take that step into that place, we're being invited to heal ourselves. And from that healing, it's not that we end up feeling better, but we get better at feeling. And so, of course, what happens there is that we become increasingly aware of the significant harm that's playing out in the earth today the ecocide, we actually we get to a point we can physically feel it and it becomes untenable. And we get to a point where we say, enough, no more, this must end. Our whole civilization was built on urgency, on efficiency. Why do we think that in this time of crisis that the solution is going to be more urgency, more efficiency? Maybe sometimes we have to do less, especially when our actions are so habituated that anything we do is going to in some way end up perpetuating the old. The minute that I speed up <clears throat> and I lose that careness, I'm going too fast and I've lost something precious. And believe me, there's a million ways a day that I tempt myself to, to uh, 
lose it and I have to come back to it like a, like a heartbeat. And, and um, it's a training, isn't it? It's a training for me. It's like, can you do this? Will you do this? Can you see the importance in this? And what else do you think you're doing that's more important? According to our, our old understanding of cause and effect, which is based essentially on Newtonian force, you know, Newton and Galileo, they said, if you want to change anything in reality, you have to exert a force on it. Well, if you really live accordingly and believe accordingly, then you realize that any meaningful change is impossible because the powers that be have a lot more force at their disposal than you do, and you're just one person. Um, if you don't know what to do, maybe you shouldn't do anything and just wait for the clarity and wait for the impulse to act. During this time of change, that we don't need to do anything to protect ourselves. Uh, going to a, a secret place somewhere or hiding food in the ground or guns and stuff and trying to protect ourselves, it's not going to work. Uh, the, the, it's simply about being in your heart, being connected to the Mother Earth, and to Father Sky, and to be uh, directly connected to Great Spirit. This, it's simple. Anybody can do this. Anyone. You just let go and just go within. It's easy. And at which point we will begin to realize that the, the dreamlike nature of this because Mother Earth can do anything, absolutely anything at all. But now we're transitioning into, it might be trite to say it, but a quantum world uh, in which things happen that aren't the result of force. Things just happen. And you're not just some isolated, separate being, but self and other are connected in mysterious ways. And it's no longer true that, that you are impotent. But in fact, everything you do has, you could even say, a cosmic significance. Well, I think it's getting more difficult to live life the way we have been living it at a grassroots level and, and more and more people are discovering this in their own lives and so it's each of us is grappling with new ways of coming to terms with the globalization of information and the changes that are taking place in our institutions and the collapse of our of many of our institutions and the changes that are taking place and how it translates for each of us is unique to us because each of us is in the world in a different way. We're all in the same physical world, but we're in very different emotional and spiritual worlds. And so it becomes a, a unique answer for each person. You know, many, many of us are discovering that our creative capacity far exceeds what we used to understand as possible. And you, you, you bow into service to something greater than yourself, to something that wants to be born on Earth. And you discover that synchronicities line up. And you find yourself in just the right place at just the right time. And you become capable of creating way more than you could rationally expect. Now, synchronicity, as I understand it now, is the environment in which we live in communicating with us to accentuate thought. And so I might think something 
and then I might hear that same thought on the radio. And then the next day I see something similar on a billboard or read something similar in a newspaper. And most people have had this experience where something is reinforced time and time again and they, they go, that must be correct then because it's just come up too many times in the last 48 hours, for example. Synergy actually is much easier than pushing. And so what I've found is that companies that seem to be receptive to corporate responsibility, to, to new types of, um, of models, get things done faster and, and easier than, than the old model. And so there's a lot of grace, there's a lot of uh, synchronicity that happens in that way. So I've seen that for a long time uh, personally, but also seen it more now. And I start to recognize when nature was communicating with me, when I was thinking certain things. And I start recognizing that there's a larger communication system happening, which is not de determined on a person telling me things. It was the natural environment, which includes the cities and all that sort of stuff, the, the external environment communicating with me directly and personally. And I started to realize that there was a larger consciousness at work, which was communicating with me personally, that could hear every thought, that could understand every feeling, and was using absolutely everything at its disposal in order to get me to open my ears and my eyes and my mind to the fact that there's a greater intelligence. That was a major breakthrough for me, to realize that I wasn't alone in my thinking. I wasn't this body having thoughts that nobody else could hear or feel or think or sense. Just the fact where you can go in to, and meet with the senior executives of the company and think that you're going to fall flat on your face because you're trying to talk to them about corporate responsibility or talk to them about new ways of doing things which may not implicitly show profits right away, not primarily profit driven, profits are real, and only to have them be completely receptive to it and say, you know, this is what we've, uh, we've been talking about but you really kind of framed it up and made it very clear for us, thank you. Ideally, money should represent society's agreement about what's valuable and what isn't. Uh, and today, money's got a bit of a problem. Uh, activities that are destroying the earth are um, considered very valuable, according to the money system. You can make a lot of money by doing some pretty ugly things, and a lot of really beautiful things that everybody would agree are valuable. Society needs it, the planet needs it. But there's no money in those things. Uh, so we need to change our money system so that it uh, is aligned with all of the beautiful, restorative, healing things that people want to do today. Uh, but there's another piece. Um, it's not only that money is misaligned, it's that money is about counting, it's about measuring. And there are always things that you cannot measure, uh, the qualitative things. And these are the things that are missing from the monetized life. You can have enormous monetary wealth 
and buy everything that you can buy with money, but there's still something missing. This is what people crave, the unquantifiable, things like intimacy, connection, uh, feeling at home in the universe, a uh, sense of adventure, things like that. Uh, so people use money to purchase substitutes for these things they really need. How much of a substitute is enough? No amount is enough. So it's addictive. So people consume more and more and more because they're missing what's really important. I think Eckhart Tolle talked about it beautifully when he discussed uh, the notion of being present. Once you are present to yourself and you're present to the relationships that you're having, then you're not going to hurt other people. You're not going to willingly kill other beings. It's, it's that type of awakening to the presence, to our own presence and our own, um, our own energies as a result of being human. You know, not listening to the still small voice, which only speaks once, it goes, And if you're not listening, then you miss it. And then you've, you know, you've, you've missed the truest guidance, the only guidance that matters. So over time, that voice then just goes, and there's no chance of hearing it because you're not feeling it either. So then you're lost. I mean, what else could be wrong? You know, we're, we're, we're not listening. Our concept of freedom uh, has been defined in relationship to the power structures that exist today. And these power structures are oppressive by and large. Uh, for example, the structures of debt that hold millions of people in lives of bondage. People spend their whole lives doing things that they really don't want to do because they have to pay these debts, right? And so freedom to them would mean um, freedom from obligation. Uh, means kind of like, I get to do whatever I want. But I think that that is actually just a stage. Because what we really want is connection to each other. What we really want is to be of service. And that's a different kind of sovereignty than just to be free of obligations. Uh, we want to be part of something larger than ourselves. And we want to be part of something that we believe in, something that's beautiful to us. We want to be free to express our gifts in a beautiful way. And it's becoming more and more apparent that if you do it right, the money will come. That that's the easy way. That's the way where you get the flow and the assistance from whether it be the planet, whether it be spirit, whether it be just luck that's the way you do it certainly from a brand standpoint because when you're building a brand and you're building a promise behind your brand that's what people sign on to and the transparency that is so um, ubiquitous now uh, you can't hide so if they don't like what you're doing what your company is stands for and what your product is doing they just won't buy your product we're here with incredible gifts. We're born with these gifts. And we're born into a state of gratitude because we didn't earn these gifts. The gift of life, you know, the gift of our time, the gift of a planet that nourishes us. And since we've received so richly, we want to give in turn. But many people are stuck in jobs or relationships or whole lives 
where these gifts are locked inside and they're not engaged. Uh, they're doing a job and they think, I wasn't put here on earth to do this. And I think this is really the freedom that we want. We want the freedom to express ourselves fully and to be creative beings. Any of these people who were channeling and who were listening to other things, but deep inside of them where they were getting their source of knowledge, that's what I see happening. And don't forget that um, it all parlays on itself. So you see something and then catalytically again and exponentially it gets bigger and then bigger and then bigger. So that can happen very quickly. Uh, I see money changing in its nature so that it's no longer based on interest-bearing debt. Um, but I also see a shrinkage of the money realm, not its disappearance, but a shrinkage of the money realm and the emergence of other ways of, of sharing, other ways of circulating wealth. And we're already seeing it, you know, on the internet, couch surfing, open source software, um, just neighborhood sharing things, you know, some on the internet, some not. Uh, but people find that their lives are enriched when they share more. If I give you something, then you feel like you kind of want to give something back, right? We have a tie. But if, if I sell you something, then we're done. I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. It's done. No, no bond is created. No tie is created. And we're living now in, a, in an atomized society where people don't have ties to each other. And we want to uh, reforge those ties and have community again. Design can play a perfect role in that. To, to understand it from a human standpoint, but um, you know, really take us for the ride because these technologies that are coming um, from transportation to the medical to just the, uh, just the biofeedback and the meditative uh, support and techniques, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So all that transcendental product, if you will, or transcendental experiences that are tied to a product or a device, that's where the fun really lies. Uh, this transition, this falling apart of the world and this birth into a new world, that comes as a gift too. It's something that happens to you. You don't have to earn it. Uh, you don't have to do anything hard for it to happen. Uh, you don't even have to surrender. You will be surrendered. It's happening. The fact that you're listening to this right now means that you're already in the midst of the transition, one way or another. We are in the middle of an awakening, which is the way that I'd like to call it. Is that perhaps every generation has sat back at some point and went, well, we're on the cusp, we're in the middle of an awakening, and maybe this is part of being human, that we have to believe our own ego takes over and we're saying, you know, we are such, we are living at such an important point in history, which masks the fact, actually, that all points in history are incredibly important. All moments, each breath, each observation is intensely important. And I think that having said that, it's that realization that perhaps we're coming to, to how terribly fragile beautiful and profound each moment is it's always been like that but we're just beginning to understand that now it's like we're, we're inhabiting this egg this this world egg and and the shell is getting thinner and thinner and as it gets thinner cracks appear 
and light shines in from a larger world. And so eventually we hatch into this larger world and the things that were once miraculous are now normal. We understand them now. They're part of our larger understanding of reality. What is death? Death is an exhale that can no longer be followed by an inhale. So the importance of breath is that it keeps us in physical form. And when you're holding your breath, you are trying to control something. So a full, easy, complete breath is life. There's something out there that wants to happen on Earth. And all of us can feel it coming. And we want to be part of it. And that being, that, that thing that wants to be born on Earth, would love to receive our gifts. And when, when we bow into service to this being, then it, then it creates opportunities. The vision itself creates the opportunities for us to give our gifts. When I look at what design can do when there is not this necessity to sell, to push, that's, see, that's the big difference. When you can create something that has a pull strategy to it, where there isn't a corporate drive behind it that needs to, that really needs to push this quarter's sales, the, then the, the whole table turns and you can really focus on just creating the best product and refining it for attaining that goal rather than the short-time gains of quarterly or annual profits. So that's, that's really the ideal, is then you get to focus on the type of product. And personally, those types of products are the ones that bring the most social benefit, uh, wellness to people. That's definitely where I find my interest and where I think the greatest impact is going to be. You know, we started out as just another animal, naked and helpless and ignorant and superstitious. But then thanks to our big brains, we developed technology and gradually became the lords and masters of nature. And the story says someday our domination of nature will be complete. We'll leave Earth behind or we'll live in bubble cities separate from nature and engineer everything, synthesize food, and we won't even, maybe we'll conquer all disease and transcend death itself. This myth is falling apart now. Uh, technology isn't bringing the miracles that it was supposed to. And instead of transcending nature and moving beyond nature, we want to rejoin nature. Uh, the myth of ascent also involves like this kind of spiritualization where the evolved person isn't involved in material things. You know, I'm in the world of spirit, right? And now we're uh, discovering that that too was uh, a fantasy, a delusion. Uh, we want to become more embodied, more connected, more material, uh, to rejoin nature and not to look at it as some lower thing or some bad thing. Fabulous time we're in. Fantastic, incredible times. The best show in town. A lot of beings are here and they're all looking down and going, what are the humans going to do? <laughs> and they, uh, there are many who say what is to happen here has never happened before on any planet in the way that it's going to happen here. And that I wouldn't know how to describe, but I do think that that is 
what's coming, something that we've never seen or heard or experienced ever before. Uh, so that opens up the question, though, what is the destiny of humanity? Why are we here? Every species on Earth has an important gift to give the totality of all life on Earth. And humanity is no different. What is our gift to Earth? This is the most important question we can ask as we enter the adulthood of the species. We've been a child species up until now. And a child plays, and a child grows, and practices using his or her gifts. But only when we enter adulthood do we turn those gifts toward their true purpose. An adolescent, when, you, when you're maybe 15, 16, 17, it becomes the most important thing in the world to you to discover, why am I here? What, what's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of my gifts? That's what you know, university is supposed to be about. Um, and humanity now, we're entering that stage um, where we're really searching for our purpose here. At the beginning, for the next few hundred years, our purpose will probably be to heal the damage that's been caused, to reverse the deserts, you know, to replant the forests, to take care of Earth, to heal the toxic waste. But after that, who knows what our purpose will be. So there were numerous speakers in that excerpt from the films, Desmond Tutu, David Icke, lots of well-known speakers. Um, Eckhart Tolle was in there, I believe, as well. Now, we were taught that you come here to Earth to learn things, and when you come here, you come here with no knowledge. Now, this is a little excerpt called The Volunteers. So tell me, out of everything you've ever done, what's the craziest experience you've ever had? That's easy. Earth. Earth? You went to Earth? I did. No way. You were a human? I was. Wow. Are the stories about Earth true? Were they really trapped on Earth? Some were. I know because I was one of the volunteers. Wait a second. You volunteered to go to Earth? I did. I had to. I had family trapped on Earth. But how could you get trapped on Earth? You had to be there to understand. On Earth, you wouldn't remember anything. What do you mean you wouldn't remember anything? I mean, you would have no memory of anything. You wouldn't even remember existing before Earth. What? How is that possible? It was designed that way. It was brilliant. To dive as deeply as possible into such ignorance, such darkness, and still find your way back to remembering who you were, that took true mastery. Wow, I still can't believe you went to Earth. Tell me more. Well, Earth had its own set of laws that everyone agreed to experience, like gravity, what goes up must come down, like linear time, day is followed by night. Time? What's time? You know how when we think of something it manifests instantly? Well, on Earth, there was a delay. The delay is what made Earth so difficult. Interesting. Time. So tell me more. Before going to Earth, you would choose your family, whether you wanted to be male or female, what race you wanted to be, the location on the planet, things like that. Oh, so you could choose your own character. Exactly. You would enter the Earth as a baby and be completely dependent on others to teach you the rules. But since nobody could remember the rules, they made up their own rules, based on fear and giving your power away to others. That doesn't sound like much fun. It wasn't for everyone. 
What'd you do while the portions of you were on Earth? I watched them. It was pretty funny. <laughs> what was so funny? Here were these magnificent beings playing the most unique and cutting-edge experience in the universe. And they were clueless. I tried to guide them as much as possible. Wait a second. You could communicate with them? Yes, but they couldn't hear me. I would show them synchronicities or send them impulses to help guide them, but they couldn't see the signs. Why not? They didn't trust themselves. So is that why they sent out a call for help? Exactly. Is that when you went? No, I didn't go until later. First volunteers, uh, they had it the worst. What do you mean, had it the worst? Well, they killed them. What? They killed the volunteers. They killed them? Those on Earth couldn't understand what the volunteers were telling them. The idea that they were equal to the volunteers scared them. What were they telling them? Common sense stuff like, all the answers you seek are inside you. Everything I can do, you can do and more. So they killed them? And then they twisted the volunteers' message and created even more fear. What do you mean, more fear? Like the message, God is inside you, was turned into... You are separate from God. The message, all the answers you seek are inside you, was twisted into, you can't trust yourself. And they believed it? It was out of control. How could they believe that? You had to be there to understand. Did you know they actually believed that they were the only intelligent life in the universe? <laughs> now that's funny. Pretty crazy, I know. So then what happened? The designers knew Earth was going to enter a section of the galaxy that humans had never experienced before. A section filled with a frequency that might be able to reconnect the human's DNA. What was wrong with their DNA? It didn't work anymore. The thing is, their DNA was how they connected with their higher self. So that's why your incarnations couldn't hear you. Exactly. But there was a catch with the new plan. Only those incarnated on Earth could tune in to these new frequencies. Oh, so they needed more volunteers. Yes, but this time they were taking no chances. To pull this off, they needed millions in the physical form, wired and ready to attune to these frequencies. Are these the 21st century humans that all the stories are about? Yep. We volunteered from every corner of the universe to help the humans wake up. What did the volunteers have to do once they got there? We had to wake ourselves up, attune to these frequencies, and spread them to the rest of the planet. That sounds impossible. Most of those watching the Earth experiment didn't think we could pull it off. So what happened when you got to Earth? Once on Earth, we were taught the same fear-based beliefs that had been handed down for eons. We lived just like everyone else, totally clueless to who we were and what was getting ready to happen. But as soon as the Earth entered this cloud of frequencies, we started to question everything. And one by one, we started to wake up. So the plan was working. It was. The more we trusted ourselves, the quicker we reconnected. And the faster we started to remember what was happening. And since we were spread out evenly all around the planet, the planet's frequency began to rise quickly. What happened when the planet's frequency began to rise? human's experience of time began speeding up. They started manifesting their beliefs faster and faster. 
Those consumed with fear created even more fear, and eventually Earth just spun out of control. What do you mean, spun out of control? These low-frequency beliefs that had controlled the human experience for eons could no longer exist. So they began to self-destruct, and the world fell into a complete chaos. That sounds terrifying. It was for those living in fear. But for us volunteers, we all knew it was the end of the old energy and the beginning of the new. So then what happened? A tipping point was reached in our awakening, and we created a new Earth. A new Earth? What happened to the old Earth? It continued on, allowing those who could not let go of their fears to play out their lessons. But for us, we created a new Earth that matched our higher frequency. And as easy as that, all the fear-based beliefs simply fell away. In an instant, we remembered who we were. We knew we were all connected, and we stopped hurting each other. We started respecting each other, started loving each other. We took back our power to create, and we created a new Earth without fear. Wow. So the legends are true. What an incredible experience that must have been. Nice work. Thanks. Do you really think and believe that millions of evolved souls would say yes to come to Earth just to die in a totalitarianism New World Order? Absolutely not. We came to flip this world upside down, back to its original state and more. We came here for the New Earth, for world peace, for the immortal golden age, for the New Eden. We came here for nothing less than to send a wave of light and love across the universe, signalling the birth of a new order of divine justice, peace, compassion and love. I am Barry, it's been the voice within. Shalom, Namaste, Kakite, Masalam. We're trying to do a worldwide signing off for you. Bye for now. May your God go with you. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.